What's up, everybody? Today we jump into the details of the temple, the order of operations, worship, you know, the law within the kingdom, and we'll get to the sacrificial system as well tomorrow. Now, this temple will be the center of life for the kingdom. From from worship to governance, it will all be centered on you know this temple, you know, which is in Jerusalem, and which Jerusalem, of course, sits on top of the mountain of the Lord which is above all other mountains. So when it comes to the kingdom, though, and the temple layout and description and just details, there's only one place in Scripture to truly find you know, the, the incredible details, and that is in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel devotes over nine chapters to it, but we will not be covering all that Scripture um, in this episode or the next, you know, perhaps in the future, I will do a study on Ezekiel uh, by himself, you know, just a study of the book of Ezekiel. And, and it's it's deep and fascinating as well. But for now, I will highlight certain passages along the way. I will do my best to summarize it within this episode and the next. And that being said, the details that Ezekiel gives about the kingdom, temple operations, sacrifice, uh, or sacrificial system, law, etc., is is very detailed and in depth. So let's jump in. Ezekiel forty two through four says, "In visions of God, He took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord." And a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I am going to show you. For that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. As you as you will see, um, the temple described here is not like any that has ever existed. That is one of the reasons we know, of course, that this is talking about the temple in the millennial kingdom. Also, the reference to Ezekiel as son of man is not the same uh, context as when Jesus is referred to as the son of man. Uh, The description when referring to Ezekiel just means human or son of Adam. So just a mortal man. Here, Ezekiel confirms details we have already learned about the kingdom temple, which uh, also confirms that he is talking about the temple in the millennial kingdom. He says it sits on top of a high mountain And it is uh, huge, like a city all by itself. This is very different than the current landscape um, in Jerusalem or in Israel. So Ezekiel is told to measure it so that we can draw a mental picture and appreciate the vastness and splendor of it. It also shows that uh, it is far different than any temple that has ever existed. It is massive and right and rightfully so because millions or more will stream to it during the millennial kingdom. It will be the center of life, governance, worship, and more. The Jew and the Gentile will flock to it and will serve in it, both of them. The structure is a perfect square with an outer wall with three gates and an inner wall with three gates. And those gates are on the north, south, and east uh, side. There's no west gate. Uh, we'll get to that at a later time. There are two courtyards formed by these walls and there is there is um, the temple building proper with several supporting buildings around it. So the eastern gate is very significant and will only be used once. 
primarily. So I'll explain that in a minute. After the after that, everyone will use the north south and north and south gates. We will come back to that more in a minute as well. So let's start with the eastern gate. The gate is a hundred feet uh, long, fifty uh, foot wide, and has a hundred foot door and a hundred and twenty foot porch. So that's like the covering. Now there is consistency with within the measurements when you study Ezekiel. You will often see measurements like the east gate uh, that involve the number five in some way or the number six, or at least multiples of those numbers, should I say, which is interesting thought because five is the number of grace and six is the number of sinful man. And this is the place where sin meets grace. I mean, isn't that, that's, that's a breathtaking thought and just kind of like hit me in the heart whenever I read it. The intentionality of God God's plan is amazing. And so the constant symbolic reminders that are always present. Also, you know what? Many of these measurements are multiples of 10 as well, which represents God's authority and complete order. So I just thought those were fascinating uh, little tidbits. So the first courtyard is a large area where the people will congregate. But as we move through the inner, inner east gate, we come into the temple courtyard. There are, you know, palm trees marking this entrance and and exit. And there are tables for sacrifice at the entrance of this inner gate. And we will get to the nature of the sacrifices soon. That will be in tomorrow's episode. Now, entering into the courtyard, we find a high altar with steps leading up and behind it, steps leading uh, uh, into the temple itself. There is no door on the temple, nor is there a veil separating the inner rooms. That is very different than what the tabernacle was or the temple was, you know, in the Old Testament days. So they had veils on the entrances leading to the Holy of Holies and all that. So it's, it's very different in that way. The temple will also have only one piece of furniture in it outside of the throne uh, of Jesus. And that is the altar of incense. So the other furniture in the Old Testament temple was a representation of Jesus. So it is not uh, present in this temple because Jesus is there himself. But incense pictures intercession before the Father. So that item remains since Jesus' role as intercessor for sin still remains. Around the temple, we also find three additional buildings in that day. Okay, and two for the priest and one that is not defined in Ezekiel except for its measurements. Now, the priestly chambers are positioned on the north and south sides, and in uh, in in there, priests in in there is where the priests begin their work day. Basically, they change clothes in, in these chambers before and after work. There are galleries here for viewing the offering of burnt sacrifices in the temple courtyard. Um, when when we look a little closer at the temple, we see a small river emerging from the building, leading us back outside to the outside of the temple. So it emerges out from under uh, the building. The river comes from under the foundation of the temple, basically, and it runs through a channel in the courtyard and under the inner uh, and outer east gate. At that point, it splits and runs both east and west, as we learned in the previous episodes. So... 
wherever it flows, so does life. And of course, we're going to come back to this river more later uh, when we talk about the things that come after the millennial kingdom. So this temple will be the center of worship in the kingdom. And that worship involves Jesus, sacrifice, priests, and feast days as it did under the Jewish law back in the Old Testament. So side note, the church today may not be too concerned with the Jewish practices and feasts uh, and customs, you know, et cetera, that existed in the Old Testament because they didn't really pertain to the Gentiles at the time. But in the millennial kingdom, they will, and everyone will participate in these feasts, um, as well as sacrifices regarding those who still have a sin nature, and we'll talk about that more tomorrow, and customs you know, uh, that we saw in the Old Testament, we'll see some of those come back under the kingdom law. Uh, now, for example, we don't adhere to the Sabbath day, but in the kingdom, the Sabbath day is restored for everyone, Jew and Gentile. So it doesn't hurt to study and be familiar with them and why they are important because uh, because of what they represented or symbolized. It will help you to understand the kingdom temple and the order of things and what what will take place there and, and why it's important you know so you'll it'll help you understand some of the significance behind the the kingdom temple operations in the first tabernacle built by Moses the lord occupied the holy of holies as the shekinah glory of god after solomon built the temple the glory of the lord entered the temple to rest above the mercy seat again then the the lord eventually departed uh, the temple in Ezekiel's day in response to the sin of Israel and the coming judgment. Ezekiel 10, um, starting in Ezekiel 10, verse 4, going through uh, chapter 11, verse 24, it describes in detail the nature of how the glory of God and presence of God, shall I say, uh, left the temple and how it was escorted. He, you know, the glory of God was escorted out by the cherubim, the angels, like we discussed back, you know, towards the beginning of our uh, Revelation study. Now, the presence of God moves to the moves to the temple doorway and out through the east gates, and hovers over the Mount of Olives before disappearing for good. There is a lot of detail in the process of how God exited, and the role of the angels uh, that escorted him. But we will leave that for a future study. Now, it is important, however, to note that the way in which God's presence departed the temple in Ezekiel's day is the same way in which the glory of the Lord in the form of Jesus will return to the temple in the millennial kingdom. Remember, Ezekiel saw the glory of God move out of the temple and you know, out of the east gate uh, and out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus returns by the way of Mount of Olives and comes back through uh, the eastern gate, as Ezekiel uh, tells us. You know, he tells us that he will enter by the way of the eastern gate, the same way God's presence left in Ezekiel's day. So after God's glory departed prior to Israel's coming judgment, it had it never returned again to you know to this day. And will not until the day the kingdom temple is finished and Jesus enters through the east gate, returning the glory of God to the temple where he will reside throughout the thousand years. Now, back to what I mentioned earlier regarding the importance of the east gate and what happens with it. Once Jesus returns through the east gate, 
returning God's glory to the temple through the same way it once left, the east gates will be shut. Now, and they'll, they'll remain closed with one exception, and we'll get to that. And no one will ever be allowed to enter the same way Jesus did, the same way the glory of God did. He is the only one that will enter that way, and for good reason. Ezekiel 43, 1-9 gives us an account of the glory of God, or Jesus returning to the temple by the way of the east gate. 43, verse 43, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 43, 1-2 says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory uh, the glory of God, of the God of Israel, coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. We already know that is describing Jesus um, because it's the same description used earlier in Revelation. And the land was radiant with his glory. Jesus is referred to as the glory of God, and his coming, uh, and he is coming from the east. The land was radiant with his glory is another description used in earlier in an earlier episode regarding the second coming of Jesus. So we know all this is describing Jesus. Verse 4 through 5 says, The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing the east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Jesus goes on to say, that the temple is where his throne is and where his feet will 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 be where the soles of his feet will be pl- planted and that he will dwell among his people here or in the temple forever okay so he resides here out of view of the world and out of view of the unbelievers ezekiel 44 1 through 2 says then the then the man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary the one facing east and it was shut The Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. So once Jesus, you know, or the glory of God, shall we say, enters through this east gate, it is shut, and no one may enter through it except, except for the prince. And so Ezekiel goes on to, to talk about that as well, but only at certain times may the prince enter through this inner east gate. No one else will be allowed, and he can only enter at certain times, namely on the Sabbath days and the new moon, you know, to present offerings and sacrifices, but he'll enter that east gate right there and present it to the priests, and they'll take over it. He will not go from there on in to the temple where Jesus is at, he'll come into that gate, and once he presents the sacrifice, then and he's done, he has to exit back out of the same gate. He can't go any further. So it is likely that the prince mentioned here is in fact David, because our previously uh, our previous episode, you know, and Ezekiel mentions earlier, and he told us who the prince was basically. In Ezekiel uh, 34, 23 through 24, it says I will, and this is Ezekiel, uh, so same, same guy writing. He says, I will appoint over them one shepherd, my servant David. And this is what the Lord is saying to him. And so he's writing this down according to what you know, the Lord is saying to him. And the Lord is saying, I will appoint over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
There is no other person that Ezekiel refers to as a prince, that God, should I say, that the Lord refers to as a prince. Uh, in this in this context, David is the only one that gets referenced with that name of being the prince over Israel and being their shepherd. So it is very likely and very, very likely that this is David that is referred to as the prince. Nonetheless, even when the prince enters the gate, it is only, like I said, for specific purposes, and he must exit back out the same way he came in. He cannot stay, uh, and he cannot leave any other way. Okay, He cannot stay longer than, than he needs for that sacrifice, so to speak. So it can be said that no one is allowed to enter the same way the Lord does because he enters as the high priest, the intercessor, king, savior, and sacrifice or atonement for all sin. He is, everything is wrapped up in him. But, you know, when he enters, he does not go back out. The, the gate is shut and he remains in the temple throughout the thousand years. And his entrance through the, through the gate and it being closed behind him symbolizes that he doesn't leave. And more importantly, no one can enter the way he does. Only his blood can atone for man's sins. Only he can intercede for us before the Father. Only he is worthy to rule as king and high priest. No one is worthy to enter through the same gate as the Lord. It would cheapen it or defile it, so to speak. Now, I mean, it's holy. So many have tried to pretend, you know, uh, they were the Messiah. And, you know, we've had lots throughout history that have tried to pretend to be the Messiah. And, you know, and the Antichrist will do his best to mimic, you know, and mislead people by trying to mimic uh, Jesus in, in a lot of ways. But no one can put on his, even put on his sandals or even take a step in his, in his shoes, so to speak. I like what John the Baptist says in John 1, 27, when he says, He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. If John the Baptist isn't worthy to untie Jesus' sandals, we definitely aren't worthy to enter the temple through the same gate that Jesus does. Okay, guys, join me next time as we finish up the kingdom temple uh, discussion as it pertains to the sacrificial system that is reinstated during the millennial kingdom. Jesus will bring the, back the animal sacrifices, and that is a hard pill to swallow for some people, especially when we don't understand its true purpose. Just know that only the blood of Jesus can take away man's sin, and there is no other way. Salvation belongs to him and him alone. So tune in tomorrow, guys. God, I love you so much, and I know that I am not always very good at showing it, but I'm grateful that you you are patient with me. I pray that as we cover difficult topics, you would give me the words to say, you know, speak through me and to the hearts of the listeners. It's not ever my job to make people like what you have to say, only to share your word as it is, just as it is, and let your spirit teach us according to your ways. I pray as we get closer to the end of the study, you would continue to guide me and let it be a blessing to those who are listening. I pray everyone would grow in their walk with you and that you would pour out your spirit on them and bless their lives and speak to their hearts. Guide us in your ways, Lord, and use us for your glory. Amen.